reading this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians, starting at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. Do keep that passage uh, open in front of you. And why don't I pray uh, as we come to this new book uh, for us uh, in the morning. Let's pray. Father, we need you to speak to us, but we praise you because you have spoken uh, in your word uh, fully and finally. Father, please, would you soften our hearts as we hear from you this morning? Uh, Would we be changed as we uh, encounter you? Would you work by your spirit for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you were uh, to compare your life with Uh, the lives of your non-believing friends and family around you? Um, How different would they be? How different should they be, your life and the lives of non-believers? Same same with the church. If you were to compare the life of CCM, the things that matter to us, and, I don't know, the the social club down the road, the tennis club, uh, whatever it might be, how different uh, would they be? Um, In terms of our priorities and our decision-making, would there be uh, much difference? I guess um, if we'd all agree, I think, that if the gospel is uh, really uh, making an impact, it should uh, look different. Our lives should look different uh, to the lives of those around us. Particularly, I guess, in uh, 21st century London, where increasingly society is is moving away from its uh, Christian heritage, Uh, and increasingly adopting a a secular agenda, secular priorities. Um, If church uh, looks too like the culture around it, if it basically just conforms and they're they're hard to pull apart, um, then I guess church becomes just another club uh, with a little little sprinkling of Jesus uh, on the side. And that, I think, um, would be a... Well, it is. It would be a problem, wouldn't it? Uh, We don't want... Uh, to so conform to our culture that, that we're indistinguishable uh, from it. We don't want to be a church uh, like that. We're coming uh, to this new letter uh, for us in the morning, 1 Corinthians, and Paul writes, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, a church that in many ways had just become very, very like the culture in which it existed. 
Let me tell you a little bit about Corinth, just by way of background. Corinth was, um, was a pretty cosmopolitan place. Um, it was a port city. It was a key trading uh, route, along a key trading route in the Roman Empire. We've got a little map uh, that just, just for those who like maps, like me. Uh, there's Corinth uh, in the middle, quite near Athens. Uh, important port uh, city, you can see. Uh, you can imagine how important it was for the trade all the way around what is now Greece uh, and across to Italy. Here are, here are three things um, that are important to know about Corinth uh, as we look at, at this book. Three things about the, the city itself and the people who lived there. And they all begin with S to help you remember them there. It's a successful city. It's a sex-obsessed city. And it's a spiritual city. What do we mean by that? Well, it, it was a successful city. It was the place to be if you wanted to make it in the world. It was a place where all the new grads would have come for their grad scheme. It's where everyone wanted to live, everyone wanted to work. It was successful. It was also sex-obsessed. In Corinth, anything goes when it comes to sex. Um, so known was, was Corinth for its sort of liberal uh, sexual ethic that the word Corinthian uh, in public use meant uh, to be promiscuous. If you were Corinthian, uh, it was a measure of your promiscuity. But Corinth was also spiritual. It was a melting pot of all sorts of ethnic, uh, religious ideas. And so it would be perfectly normal uh, for the, the ordinary Corinthian to, I don't know, stop in and, and have their session of transcendental, trans, transcendental? transcendental meditation uh, before breakfast. Uh, then they would have gone and, uh, I don't know, had their crystals read uh, over their lunch break. And they might even have stopped in uh, to the temple prostitute on the way home. And all of those things, those and more, made you a very well-rounded person in Corinth. Uh, you were very spiritual That's Corinth, successful, sex-obsessed, and spiritual. But into that culture, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had brought the gospel message. Uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago when we looked at Acts chapter 18, we looked uh, at Corinth. Paul came and he proclaimed Jesus. There was a usual opposition. He got kicked out of the synagogue, you remember, and he had to set up the church right next door. Lots of people didn't like it, but some people believed and became Christians. And so the church in Corinth uh, got going. Paula then stayed there for 18 months, um, teaching, building up the church. But Paul's gone. Uh, he had left some time before. And the church has very slowly uh, just become very like the culture again in which it operates. And um, Paul had left, he was pretty important, but they've got rid of Paul too. They don't really, now that he's not there anymore, they're not that fussed on him. Um, he wasn't much of a gospel messenger, was he? You see, in successful Corinth, um, the church wanted a gospel that looked good uh, to the outside world. They wanted gospel preachers who were um, impressive, uh, not simple, like Paul uh, preaching a message of a crucified saviour. In sex-obsessed Corinth, they wanted uh, to continue on much as they had before in their sexual conduct. 
and in spiritual Corinth, well, the church wanted elements of of their pagan background uh, in their form of Christianity. In essence, they wanted a Corinthian-shaped Christianity. They would have said, yeah, we'll have Jesus, uh, but but we want him as the, the strong man only, not as the crucified Lord. Uh, we'll have gospel preachers, but only those who are, who are really impressive and capable. Uh, we'll go on living much as we were before because we don't want to change. We want to stay culturally relevant. You know, we don't want to be so different that no one listens to our message. See, the problem Paul addresses is that, that we don't get to shape Christianity in our culture's image. We just don't get to do that. They wanted Corinthian shaped Christianity. Paul will say, you must have Christ-shaped Christianity, or it is no Christianity at all. It is all about Christ. Paul makes that clear, um, even in these opening verses uh, that we're looking at this morning. Eleven times in just nine verses, Jesus uh, is mentioned. All the blessings that this church enjoy, and they are many, all the gifts that they have, All the hopes that they have for the future are all coming to them in Christ. So Paul would say, don't walk away from Christ because you want to be more like your culture. Christ is at the heart of the gospel message and he must be at the heart of the church. Let Jesus shape your priorities, your lifestyle, your church gatherings. So as we look at this letter uh, today and in the coming weeks, The question we'll look at again and again is how like the Corinthian church are we? I guess not all the specifics will be true. We don't live in Corinth uh, in the first century. Our culture will be different. The culture that is trying to influence us and that we are in danger of looking very like uh, will be different. But the question, how much uh, is, is our Christianity shaped by our culture and how much is it shaped by Christ? Paul writes 1 Corinthians to to challenge uh, their cultural conformity. And so as we we dig into the passage, we see right from the beginning how he introduces himself in verse 1. Paul wants to remind them of the authority that he has as he speaks to them. Let me read it again. Verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. See, Paul is an apostle He is one who has been sent by God. And his role as an apostle, as a gospel proclaimer, isn't down to his human ability. Um, It's not that he chose to do it. Paul isn't just another um, peddler of religious ideas, take it or leave it, uh, Corinthians. No, Paul has been sent by the Lord Jesus. He is an apostle. And so he comes with the authority uh, of Christ It's a bit like um, an ambassador uh, for Her Majesty's government. The ambassador is not the queen herself, but when the ambassador speaks, they speak with the authority of Her Majesty's government. And so you'd be pretty foolish to dismiss out of hand uh, what they had to say. You You would listen because of the authority it came with. So it is with Paul. He speaks with the authority of Jesus. And so we must listen. 
Paul's going to have some pretty uh, difficult things to say uh, to the church in Corinth. Um, Like all churches, it is far from perfect. Um, But he does start in these opening nine verses by reminding the church that despite their imperfections, they are in Jesus. And that is a wonderful thing for them. We're going to break the rest of the passage down into, into three sections, three things that Paul highlights that this church are because they are in Christ. That is, in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are, firstly, a sanctified church, a gifted church, and a waiting church. Those are the three things. If you want to follow on your outline, they are on the back of your service order, if that would be helpful for you. In the Lord Jesus Christ, this church is a sanctified church. Let me read again from verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there are lots and lots of ways uh, we'll see over the coming weeks that the Corinthian church are not living as they should. But Paul begins by saying, no, you have been sanctified in Christ. What does that mean? We, we often use, if we use the word sanct, sanctified, sanctification, we, we mean a sort of um, the ongoing process of becoming more and more uh, godly, or Christ-like. Paul's using it a, a little bit differently here. He's saying you have been sanctified. Fact. It has happened to you, church in Corinth. And to be sanctified, it, it simply means to be, to be set apart for a special purpose, to be set apart. So if you're a, a bit old-fashioned uh, like me, uh, you might have two sets of cutlery in your house. You've got your sort of everyday set, uh, you know, that lives in the drawer. Uh, but then for special occasions, you've got your canteen cutlery. Uh, now, if you're a certain age, you're probably thinking, what an old... What a, Yeah, who is this guy? Why has he got (laughs) special cutlery set aside for special purposes? Well, Paul is saying, Christian, you are different because you have come to follow Jesus. Jesus has set you apart. You are sanctified in him. And yet at the same time, we've been set apart, but we are called to be his holy people, verse two, right beside it, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Um, So which is it? Are you set apart or are you supposed to grow uh, in holiness? Well, it it is both, isn't it? You have been set apart in Christ and so you live differently. So when it comes to our uh, canteen special cutlery, uh, we don't use it for other purposes. So when there's a, a tough stain on the, on the cooker, I don't get a knife out of the canteen and use that to scrape it off. When I'm doing a bit of DIY and I need the, the paint tin opened, I don't go and get the special cutlery uh, and use it for that. Guess you'll be pleased to know that if you're ever invited round to ours for dinner. No, the, the, the special cutlery is, is set apart and that is a good thing. It means you live differently. If you're a Christian, you have been set apart, sanctified in Jesus. And so you should live 
differently. And in verse two, um, Paul is, is keen to tell them that that is true of all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say that to them? Why is it so important that they know that that is true of all uh, believers? Well, it is because the Corinthian church, uh, the Corinthian Christians are in danger of thinking that they're above um, other Christians because they live in this successful, uh, rather spiritual place. Uh, they're in danger of, of elevating themselves. If, um, if there were such a thing as Ofsted for churches, well, they think they're going to come out with an outstanding in all areas. And so they look down on those Christians who are just a little bit less sophisticated, just a little bit less outwardly impressive, less spiritual. Paul says, no, you can't do that. You share this amazing privilege with every other Christian. You have been set apart and called to be his holy people. What's, what's the impact of what Paul is saying uh, for them and for us? I think it's both an encouragement and a challenge. Here's the encouragement. Church, you have been sanctified. You've been set apart for God. And that is an extraordinary privilege. That's what it means to be the church of God. But there's also a, a challenge there, isn't there? Look, church, you need to live as God's holy people. Does your life actually look different to those around you because you're in Christ? Or does it look pretty much the same as your non-believing colleagues and neighbors? If you're always making the same decisions as everyone else, if your priorities are always identical, then something has probably gone wrong, hasn't it? The Corinthian Christians, well, they looked a lot like pagan Corinthians. So the question for us, I guess, is uh, if you call yourself a believer this morning, Christian at Christchurch Mayfair, how much do you look like a secular Londoner? I guess if, if we're honest, probably in different areas, more than we'd like to admit some of the time. And that's why we need to hear what, what God has to say to us uh, in 1 Corinthians we are a sanctified church in Christ. And so will we live as God's holy people? That's the first thing Paul wants to, uh, to urge on the church in Corinth and on us, that they are a sanctified church. Secondly, then, they are a gifted church, verse four to seven. Uh, look down again. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony among, about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. The Corinthian church has a lot uh, going for it. Uh, Paul wants to thank God for that. Not to, not to praise the church, but to praise God for all he has given to them. He thanks God, first of all, for his grace given you in Christ Jesus. See, whatever their abilities and their achievements, and they are many, they are grounded in the undeserved kindness of God towards them, shown to them in Christ. 
Verse five, in Christ, you have been enriched in every way. Look, there is no denying it. They are an impressive, able bunch of people. Humanly speaking, I guess, that's probably what you'd expect in a place like Corinth. But Paul, Paul isn't concerned with humanly speaking. Because Paul knows that everything that has been given to this church is from God. All of their speech and knowledge and gifts. Specifically here, they have been enriched with all kinds of speech and knowledge. They are an articulate group of people. They can put their point across very well. They can sound very convincing. Uh, when when the, the church in Corinth uh, preached the gospel, uh, people listen. There's no falling asleep in a Corinthian sermon. In fact, they do not lack any spiritual gift. Uh, they are a gifted church. We can, we can refer to people as gifted still these days, don't we? And we often say that about uh, maybe musical gifts. You know, if someone's got a lovely singing voice or if they're um, really good at the clarinet, we say, oh, they're gifted. What do we mean by that? Um, I think we usually mean um, you had some sort of innate ability, um, you know, maybe in your genes passed down to you from your parents or something. And then you've, you've sort of worked quite hard at it. You know, you took lessons uh, for quite a long time and you've practiced and uh, you've got much better. Uh, you're, you're gifted. Of course, that's not, that's not actually what it means to be gifted. See, to have a gift means that you have been given it by someone else. It is a gift. And you actually had very little to do with it. And so Paul reminds uh, these Corinthians that they are gifted. But he's not congratulating them on their innate ability or their hard work. He is reminding them that all of it has been given to them uh, in the Lord Jesus. It is a gift. And I guess when you, when you recognize that something is a gift, uh, you use it differently. I had a friend uh, who had uh, a nice car. It wasn't a, it wasn't a flashy car, it was just a, a nice car. And I was very struck, Christian friend, I was very struck one time asking him about why he was always the one to offer people lifts at places. He was always the first to say, oh, I'll, I'll give you a lift. Now, I, I thought it was because he was just a bit flash about his car. Um, he was quite proud of it. Actually, it, it really took me back what he said. He said, I mean, he'd worked for the car. He hadn't stolen it. No one had given him it. Um, he had worked hard for it. And yet he saw it uh, as a gift, something God had given him. And so he said, I believe God has given me uh, this car. I don't, it's not mine. It's from him. And so I want to use it to, to serve other people. Uh, not to make myself look flash and good, but I want, I want to serve others by giving them lifts uh, to days out with the church and things like that. Very striking. If you know something is a gift, you do use it differently. You don't cling on to it. Well, this is mine. This is all about me. It's a, it's a gift, so I'll be generous. What's the impact uh, of what Paul says here? Paul's going to have a lot more to say in this letter about gifts. It's going to come up a few more times. But for now, here's the encouragement. Um, we have been given so much uh, in Jesus. I think you'd have to admit that as a church, uh, we are pretty blessed. We have lots of gifted people, truly gifted people, people who've been given things uh, by God. And that's not because we're a better church 
Uh, it's not because we're a better group of Christians uh, than others. No, it is out of God's kindness. He is the one who has given the gifts uh, to the church. Now, yes, you can explain that away, humanly speaking. Um, that's part of, uh, part of where we are in central London and the training that people have had and the opportunities that they've had. Yeah, sure. But everything we have is a gift from God. And so we should be thankful uh, to him for it. And because it's a gift, and there is a challenge there too, isn't there? Are we using what God has given to serve him? And when we serve, are we doing it truly for Jesus? Our hearts are very quick, aren't they? Um, if you're anything like me, to, to, to take a gift that you've been given and make it all about yourself. Um, make it a reason to, to puff you up. Hey, look at me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the person that they always ask to come up the front and, and pray. Um, that must mean I pray really well. I'm, I'm the person who um, everyone always comes to to confide in when they're going through a hard time because I'm just so caring and, and wise. Well, maybe those things are true. Maybe, maybe you pray really well. Maybe you are a great listener. But those gifts are reasons to praise God, uh, not yourself. And so as a church that is gifted, uh, we need to hear what God says to us about how we use them. Like the Corinthian church, we are a gifted church. So will we use our gifts uh, to serve God? So they are a sanctified church, they are a gifted church, and thirdly and finally, they are a waiting church. Pick it up again at verse seven. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the Corinthians, they've become so focused on the gifts that they've been given that they have forgotten what the gifts are meant to point them towards the return of Jesus. They got so caught up in the present and making the most of the present that they'd forgotten uh, that they were focused on, should have been focused uh, on the future. The gifts are there to help the church wait uh, eagerly uh, for the Lord Jesus to return. The gifts are there to, to build up the church and to help it proclaim uh, the message of, of our, our risen Savior. Because the church is a, a waiting church. It doesn't ultimately exist for the here and now. It exists for a day in the future. It's a little bit like, um, if you remember back to 2012, and the Olympic torch uh, relay, uh, went all around the world, didn't it? All around the country, uh, finally all around London, before arriving here for the start of the Olympics. And it was all quite exciting, wasn't it? Uh, the torch kind of traveling from place to place. But the only reason it was exciting was because it was pointing to something that was coming. It wasn't the end in and of itself. It wasn't the exciting thing. It was pointing uh, to something else. And so it would be pretty foolish, wouldn't it, to get so caught up in the torch relay that you totally missed uh, the Olympic Games. As the church waits on the return of the Lord Jesus, 
we can be certain that we will get there because Jesus will keep us firm to the end, is what Paul says. Even when the Corinthians were making mistake after mistake in how they went about church life, so many mistakes that Paul has to write 16 chapters in this letter and then a whole other book, a whole other letter uh, to try and sort out their issues. But even then, with all their mistakes, on the day when Jesus returns, that church will be blameless uh, before him. This far from perfect church will be completely perfect. The same is true of us, isn't it? Even when we make mistakes, even when there are lots of things in our lives that should change, both individually and, and as a church, on that day, we will be blameless in Christ. Why? Well, because it is Jesus' day, and he has done all that it takes to make us perfect before him. Go back to the, the torch relay. As the relay's going on, how can you be certain that the Olympics will come? It isn't actually because of the torch relay. It's not that the torchbearers do such a good job of carrying the flame around and bringing it to London that, oh good, uh, now we can have the Olympics. You know, what, what, if, the, what if the torchbearer drops uh, the torch uh, on their little leg? What if they go the wrong way? Um, almost impossible because they're so surrounded by motorbikes and other things. But what if, what if they get it wrong? What if they mess it up? Well, in the end, their mistakes will not stop the Olympic Games from happening. In the case of London 2012, Lord Coe was in charge. He will get the job done. In a similar way, I guess, the Lord Jesus will get the job done, even when our mistakes and imperfections feel like they can get in the way. God, Paul says, is faithful. He has brought you into relationship with his son, and he will get you there. So even for this messy Corinthian church, they can have hope because God is faithful. I guess the encouragement for them is that even though they are far from perfect, God will get them uh, to the end. And he will do the same for us uh, too. He will, we will be blameless uh, before him. I guess that does several things, doesn't it? It, it enables us to admit our mistakes uh, and our imperfections now. We don't have to hide from those things. It's why, I guess, the church can, can never just be um, another club uh, like every other one. Because our horizon is totally different. We're not focused on this world. We are waiting for Jesus to return. And so the challenge then is, are we a church that is eagerly waiting for Jesus' return. Is that what shapes our decisions and our priorities? Now, probably on the, on the whole, we'd say, yes. Um, yeah, that, that probably is the case most of the time. But there will always be uh, areas where we're not doing that. Areas that we need the challenge uh, that 1 Corinthians uh, will bring. And we're not a perfect church. No church is. And so we need to be corrected and changed and shaped uh, by God's word. We are just as prone as the Corinthians to get caught up in the here and now 
and forget what is to come. Forget that we are waiting. We are waiting, church, and so will we live for that day? Will we shape all our decisions individually, collectively around that reality? So how like the culture around us are we as a church? How similar are we? That's a question I think we'll ask again and again as we come back to 1 Corinthians. Paul will say, will say much that will challenge us. Um, challenge where our, our Christianity is shaped more by our culture uh, than by Christ. But as he opens this letter, it is, it is mainly encouragement. So Christ Church Mayfair, in Christ, you are sanctified. You are set apart in Christ, called to be his holy people. So live holy lives. And Christ Church Mayfair, in Jesus, you are richly gifted. So use your gifts uh, to serve him. CCM, you are waiting for Jesus to return. So let that perspective shape all the decisions, all the priorities of each day. Shall we pray together that we'd be a church and individuals that have those priorities? Let's pray together. Our Father, it is an extraordinary privilege to be, uh, to be part of your church, to be one of your people. Not because there's anything special or important about us, but because you have done it all in the Lord Jesus and you have given it to us as a, as a gracious free gift. Father, we praise you so much for your extraordinary generosity to us, to set us apart, to give us the gifts that we need to point us, to help us to wait for the Lord Jesus to return. Father, thank you that in the midst of all our imperfections, all the things that, that we get wrong, all the mistakes we make, you are working out your plans and purposes and we will be blameless before him on the day he returns. Father, would that reality shape our day, our day-to-day -day life? Would it encourage us where we feel weary, would it challenge us where we've become complacent? Father, we long to be a church that more and more reflects uh, who we are in Christ. And so we pray that you do that work uh, through your word, by your spirit, and for the glory of the Lord Jesus on that day he returns. In his name we pray. Amen.